Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Man, isn't that exciting? We're part of a game-changing church. So I want to welcome all of you who are here live. I also want to welcome all of you who are watching online. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship and study God's Word together with us. So the Bible says that the closer we get to the end of the world, the tougher it's going to be to be a Christian. And I don't think that should surprise us. Jesus himself predicted that persecution would increase toward the end of the age. And since Christians espouse biblical values that are opposed to the world's values, that automatically just sets us up as targets, simply because we hold to the teachings of Jesus. And folks, I think as Christians living in America, we've got to get used to this, because the so-called tolerance movement seems to tolerate everything but Christian beliefs and values. And so opposition to our values is increasing, both from government interference and public ridicule. You know, temptations are intensifying as the media pipes into our homes a glamorized view of immorality and materialism. You know, mainline denominations that used to hold to the truth of God's Word are now denying that the Bible is truly God's Word. Relativism is rampant, so there's no use arguing for absolute truth. And in this whole spiritual vacuum, what's happening is people are turning to atheism and agnosticism like never before. You know, in Luke 18.8, Jesus asked this question, He asked, when the Son of Man returns, it's a reference to himself. When I return, Jesus says, will he find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? It's a good question. So as we face difficult times, how do we respond? Like, how do we make a difference in our world? And we're in this series called Game Changer, and that's the question we're seeking to answer. How do we make a difference in the midst of a culture that is radically opposed to our beliefs and values? Well, good news for us, the Apostle Paul, he modeled a lifestyle that did just that. And he taught us how to do this in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so today, we're going to look at another mark of a game changer. It's someone who knows how to encourage other people. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, encouragement is the fuel that keeps us going in the midst of adversity in life. And in this particular passage this morning, it's the very tool that Paul used to keep the Thessalonians going in the face of persecution. Paul shows us how to encourage each other in the Christian life. And just so you know, Paul was writing to Christians who were facing intense opposition from their enemies in the first century. They were very much in the minority. It wasn't easy for them to stay true to Jesus. And up front here, I just want us to listen to how Paul encourages these Christians in the midst of their trials, in the midst of their hardships. And I'm going to read the whole passage to you, so bear with me, and then we'll come back and have some fun breaking it down. This is 1 Thessalonians 2, 6 to 16. Paul says, As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. 
We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You were witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Okay, now let's break down this passage. And we're going to learn from Paul how to be an effective encourager here. I think the first thing we see here is that Paul was caring. Paul really, truly, deeply cared for these people. If you know about the Apostle Paul, he was strong, he was powerful, he was courageous. But when he writes to these believers, he uses these kind maternal words. I mean, he even goes so far in verse 7 as to say, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. Any of you guys in here feel awkward about that statement? Can I see a raising of hands? Or or do all you dudes speak to your bros that way, right? (laughs) That's not the typical way I, I talk to people, I address people in our congregation. You know, I thought about this. If I said to my good friend, Steve Vickers, hey, Coach Vickers, man, I love you gently like a mama loves her little baby. (laughs) Steve's looking at me like going, yeah, I'd take a few steps back and find out what meds you're on, dude. You got to ask why. Like, why use that kind of intimate language? See, Paul is trying his best to communicate the deepest form of caring here. In fact, that word caring in the Greek, phalpos, you know that was used of? It was used of birds that would cover their young, cover their eggs with their feathers. It describes a kind of caring that goes beyond just an emotional attachment. It's a passionate commitment to someone regardless of how I feel. And you see, when you care for other people, you got to understand that your emotions and your actions aren't always attached. Like, you can care for somebody without feeling like caring for them in the moment, and it's totally legitimate. In fact, since Paul uses a motherly analogy here, let let me just speak to all the moms in the room. Okay, moms, was there ever a time when your baby woke up at 3 a.m., and you had to feed that baby, okay, because the husband's pretending to be asleep, as we typically do. Every time like that, raise your hand if you ever had to get up in the middle of the night and feed your baby, okay? Yeah, all of you could probably. Okay, now, was there ever a time when you didn't really want to get up in that moment? Like, you were like, oh, man, yeah, yeah. Of course there was. Like, every time you didn't go, oh, my baby woke up 3 a.m., how sweet, how precious. You didn't feel that way. See how the emotions and the actions aren't always attached when it comes to caring. In fact, the greatest form of care is oftentimes when you do the right thing, you love somebody even when you don't feel like it. When your grade schooler came home from school and you already told him, don't get in the mud puddles on the way home today, and he came in drenched in mud, and you, know, you had to clean him up, did you make him go to school naked the next day? 
Heck yeah, we did. <laughs> but okay, most of you didn't. I didn't see any hands. Now you care for them. You, you wash their clothes, probably discipline them. That's, that's just all part of caring. You see, whether it's people in your family, your friends, your, your coworkers, it's important to realize that real care is when you act it out. It's not how you feel in the moment. It's, it's really caring for somebody by your actions, regardless of your emotions. You look at verse 11. Paul said, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. See, Paul wasn't just talking about an ooey-gooey, sentimental kind of love. He's talking about the kind of sacrificial love a dad or a mom has for their children. Verse 8 says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. See, true care is going to cost you a part of your life. And did you know that God is busy sovereignly designing all the experiences you go through in life to help you encourage others? 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. One of the reasons God has you going through trials and tribulations, tragedies in your life is so that you can then turn around and comfort somebody else. It's so that you can take that experience that you have and you can be a little more understanding, a little more compassionate, a little more helpful to someone who's going through a similar trial. I know when Wendy and I first got married, we knew some couples who had been through the tragedy of a stillborn child. But it wasn't until Wendy and I lost a child between Nick and Nate that we could truly minister to those parents on a heart-to-heart level. And once we experienced it personally, all of a sudden, we knew how to offer encouragement. We knew how to be compassionate toward those parents who were going through such a devastating time. See, there's something about having been there and done that that makes you better equipped. Well, Paul could encourage these Thessalonians in their persecutions because he'd been there. He'd done that. He'd been beaten. He'd been thrown in prison. He knew what they were going through. And I think when we go through tough times, this should be a lesson for us, right? Not to let that make us more bitter, but to soften our hearts, make, make us more compassionate toward people who are going through a similar trial. And if you really want to up your game in the caring department, pay attention to this. You've got to look around and pay attention to the needs of people around you. See, Paul was alert to the needs of these people in Thessalonica. Look at verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. See, Paul was aware that the Thessalonians, they're struggling financially. And if he accepted a salary, that would have put an undue burden on them. They would have had to work harder for him to stay there. So being sensitive to their situation, he moonlighted as a tent maker to pay his own way. See, a good encourager is someone who's perceptive about what other people are thinking, other people are feeling. And I know, I know, I know, some of that is just a gift. Like some of you, just based on your personality, some people just instinctively know how other people are feeling. But I'm also going to tell you that this can be learned. And here's a little tip for you. Always be on the lookout and catch people doing things right. Catch people doing things well. It's very simple. Just look around you, catch people doing things well, and then use that as an opportunity to jump in and say something. Okay? You can do this, and you don't have to force it. You know, like, hey, you, you don't sweat much. That's really good. You know, 
basket. I'm not talking about that, all right? Just look for it. Just look around. I, I promise you, I promise you there are all sorts of little opportunities that you can just jump in. Like, let's say you're at a restaurant, your, your waiter, your waitress does a good job. Don't just give them a good tip. Like, let them know how they made that experience enjoyable for you. When somebody comes to your home and, and repairs something, call out that skill set. Let them know that that's a gift. You know, I'm mechanically challenged, and I have the spiritual gift of breaking things, okay? So I'm super appreciative of people that can fix stuff. And I tell them that all the time. At least I try to. You know, the bottom line is this. People are starving, starving, starving for affirmation and encouragement. And the opportunities are all around us. So just be on the lookout. Catch people doing things well and use that as an opportunity to jump in and encourage. One key quality of an encourager is someone who's perceptive and cares for the needs of others. Okay, another key quality of an encourager is when that individual is righteous. You know, we can encourage other Christians through our lifestyle. Look at verse 10. Paul says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Okay, Paul was encouraging these people to live a life worthy of their calling, to live a righteous life. And how did he do that? By modeling that, by living a righteous life himself. And something you need to know here, that word blameless in the Greek, it doesn't mean sinless. The Greek term amemptos meant that Paul was confident that he was living with enough purity that those on the outside could not bring a charge against him. See, we say this all the time around here. We are broken, imperfect people, and we are. We are messed up. But that does not mean that we don't strive for righteousness. It doesn't mean we don't shoot for holiness. It doesn't mean we don't aim at godliness. And it also doesn't mean that we can use our brokenness as an excuse for sin. Because let me tell you something, if you're a believer in Jesus, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you know what happened? You got a supernatural power in your life, the Holy Spirit. So you can live righteously. Now, we don't always do that. We, we fall short. You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be sinless. But you can live in such a way that those on the outside can't bring a charge against you. And I know, I know, I know, there's a fine line here, right? Because you can think, well, how can I be honest about who I am and my brokenness and still be a light in a dark world? In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And you got to ask the question, okay, well, how do we do that without coming across as hypocritical or judgmental or holier than thou? Well, let me just tell you what I think personally. I think the way we stand out as light in the world is when we are honest about who we are and who we are not, okay? The goal for Paul was to be blameless, and it's hard for people to blame you, right, if you're not pretending to be something that you're not. I actually think hypocrisy is what irks people on the outside about Christians. When we pretend to be more righteous than we really are, that's what bothers people. And the visual image that comes to my mind is that of makeup. Like we put on makeup. And makeup is appearance management, isn't it? You got blemishes, gone. You got blotchy skin. You put a little foundation on and boom, peaches and cream, right? You got wrinkles. You can jam a little powder in your crevices and wrinkles like they <laughs> fix the potholes on airport road, right? Just, gone. I mean, it's incredible stuff, right, ladies? 
<laughs> oh, yeah, that was the wrong thing. <clears throat> I didn't hear a single amen. <clears throat> yeah, it doesn't matter. I have beady little eyes, put the right stuff on. Your eyes are big and pretty. I have a point here, and I better get to it really fast. <clears throat> My point is, a lot of Christians, they can't handle their brokenness, right? So they put on makeup. They, they try, to, try to pretend there's something they're not. And, and unfortunately, you, you want to know the truth? People on the outside, they can see right through that. And it turns them off. And don't get me wrong. I'm not down on makeup. Please don't write me notes, ladies, okay? I'm not anti-makeup. I'm talking about spiritual makeup here. And we have, like, moral blemishes. We got character blotches. We got wrinkled hearts. And rather than being honest about those faults, we just try to hide and pretend that it's not there. That's not the right approach. That doesn't make you blameless, just the opposite. It gives people grounds to blame or accuse you. And so I tell people all the time, you know what? Christians struggle with the same stuff as everybody else. We are broken. We are messed up just like the next person. Yeah, we have the advantage of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We got that power. But sadly, we don't always take advantage of that. So people strive by the Holy Spirit for righteousness, for holiness, for blamelessness. But be authentic about where you truly are in life. Be authentic. Now, I know there are times when we're all tempted to think, there's just no way anybody can live a righteous life in our corrupt world. But then every once in a while, you see somebody who's doing pretty well, and it encourages you. And you say, well, you know what? If she can come to church every Sunday without her husband, I can too. Or if he can overcome that addiction and be used of God, I can too. Or if that couple can come to church when two weeks ago their child passed away, I can hang in there too. I mean, those are the kinds of things that people see and applaud. And a righteous life is a tremendous source of encouragement to those on the outside. All right, so a good encourager is somebody who strives to care, somebody who strives for righteousness. How about one final mark of an effective encourager as seen in the life of Paul? An effective encourager is expressive. Expressive. In verse 8, Paul says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. And if you think about it, Paul went through the effort to write an entire letter to the Thessalonians just to express how much he cared for them. You know, oftentimes when we respect somebody, when we admire somebody, we don't tell them. Now, we may tell other people, but we never get around to telling that individual themselves. And when Jesus healed 10 men of leprosy, I'm sure they were all thrilled, but only one came back to express his appreciation. Unbelievable. But that's kind of the way we are. And so maybe you come home from church, you say, man, I really appreciate little Jimmy's Sunday school teacher. But you never sit down and, and write her a note of thanks. Or you think, I really appreciate our, our district attorney for taking a stand for traditional values, but you don't phone the office and, and let them know. And be genuine people. Hey, most people don't get encouragement from somebody who is just overly gushy, just full of flattery. In fact, Paul actually warns against empty flattery. So be real and be balanced. You know, a good encourager will sometimes in love rebuke. Paul said in verse 11, we dealt with you, each of you, as a father deals with his own children. 
Hey, you dads know there are times you got to discipline. You got to rebuke. You got to correct at times. Enemy. Wounds from a friend. Now, sometimes the truth hurts, but it's better than many from an enemy. Now, if you teach this passage to high school students, you'll have to address this issue. What if the enemy is really hot looking, right? Yeah, teenagers ask great questions, people. They say that's a whole other issue, okay? Different message. But if somebody corrects you in love, and then they come back later and they give you a compliment, what does that do? That boosts you up. Why? You know why? Because you know they're telling you the truth. You know that. Another key piece of advice is, is be on the lookout for people who are not in the limelight, who rarely get encouraged. Oftentimes, it's the behind-the-scenes people that are the most valuable but the least appreciated. Years ago, a man by the name of Casey Jones was the coach of the Boston Celtics, and he was known as a great encourager. But whenever a player would do something spectacular, he would never say a thing. And finally, one day, his star forward, Kevin McHale, said, Coach, why is it when one of us does something amazing, you don't say anything? And Coach Jones said, well, what's, you do something spectacular. You got 15,000 fans cheering you on, patting you on the back. But when you need a friend most is when nobody's cheering you on. So pay attention to the people nobody cheers on. Catch them doing something well. Encourage them. Let me tell you this. If you can, write it down. I mean, it's always nice when somebody verbally compliments you, but it's doubly nice when they take the time to write it down, where you can read it and go, wow. They took the effort to write this to me. That's pretty cool. And people, they hold on to notes of encouragement, maybe reread them when they're discouraged. And we all get discouraged, right? If anybody tries to tell you they're never discouraged in life, they're not ultra spiritual, okay? They're either ultra lying or ultra deceived. And we all get discouraged, every one of us. And, and folks, this goes both ways. We have to learn how to give encouragement well, but sometimes, sometimes we have to learn how to receive encouragement well, don't we? To accept it when other people try to encourage us. Take a look at uh, verse 13. Paul says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you brothers became imitators of God's churches in Judea. You know, the Thessalonians, they were excited. They were encouraged by the words that Paul and his companions brought to them. They recognized that these priceless truths were coming from God through Paul. So they received encouragement well from Paul. And you know what that did? It encouraged Paul. It pleased Paul. When we receive encouragement well, then it encourages the encourager. And then there's kind of a cycle of encouragement that takes place. Yeah, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, but somebody has to receive. So if someone tries to build you up, if someone you, don't put them down for that. Like, have you ever gone to somebody and said, man, you did that really well. That was great. And they're like, nah, it sucked. Oh, that was terrible. Right? How, how does that make you feel? <laughs> you feel kind of rotten, right? You're like, well, maybe I wasn't very perceptive. But if you go up to somebody and say, hey, good job. And they say, thanks for noticing me. I appreciate you calling that out. That really boosts me up. Well, in that interaction, you as the encourager get encouraged. 
So folks, don't be so insecure or self-conscious or so proud that you can't accept encouragement from other people, okay? That you can't let people know when you're encouraged. A good encourager receives encouragement well. Like never before, I think this is a time when we need to spur one another on to love and good deeds and encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And the Apostle Paul, he left us a beautiful example in this passage today of how to be an encourager. It starts by paying attention, being perceptive to the needs of others and jumping in and caring. And then it goes to living a righteous life as best you can without being hypocritical, without putting on makeup. Be authentic, but strive to live righteously. And then finally, express encouragement as often as you can. Those are the marks of an effective encourager. Somebody who can be a game changer in this world. Pray with me. Lord, I'm so grateful for the model of Paul and how in this passage today we see, it just exudes from Paul, how he cared, how he lived his life righteously, how he expressed encouragement. God, if we can begin by the power of the Holy Spirit to implement these things in our lives, we can make a difference in this world, just like Paul did. So God, I pray that you would help us, but help us to desire this, first of all. And, and maybe we're not naturally, intuitively able to figure out how people are thinking or feeling in the moment, and we've got to pay extra special attention to what's going on around us. But God, I pray this week you would give us opportunities to do that. And then when that door opens, that we would step in and care, and give a word of encouragement. Lord, again, thank you that as we go through this incredible book in your word, there are so many truths that are applicable to us today. I pray that we would take these things and run with them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as you guys leave today, here's my encouragement to you. This week, find at least one person, one person that you know who needs a word of encouragement, and come up with a creative way to do that. Maybe it's writing them a note. Maybe it's complimenting them in front of another person. But you can do that. As you leave the doors today, as you walk out there, go be an effective encourager. Go be a game changer in this world. Have a great week, people.